Good morning. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. There you guys go. Come on. Let's go. Uh, excited to be with you this morning. Excited to continue on in our journey in Nehemiah. Uh, we in Nehemiah chapter 6, as you can see on the screen. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Victory Despite Distractions. Victory uh, Despite Distractions. Um, just want to encourage you guys, if you are not bringing your... Does it sound echoey to you? All right. Um, if you guys are not bringing your Bibles to church, I want to really encourage you guys. Those Bibles, remember, those are only uh, for if you forget, right? I don't want you guys to rely on those. Um, I don't want those to become your crutch. I want you guys to bring your own Bibles and even bring like a highlighter, a pen with you, a notebook, something where you can uh, start having your own kind of highlights and things in there um, that you can underline if something stands out to you so that maybe, you know, when you go home or a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, you can go back and you can see those markings of what stood out to you. It's, it's a sweet thing to do. So I want to encourage you with that. Um, and I know even uh, I was not a very good note taker when I was in junior high, but my wife Haley was. And it's so cool now, I think for her, 14 years removed, that we're able to look at her uh, journal that she had from seventh and eighth grade and how the Lord was speaking to her. That's when she really came to faith and really started walking with the Lord and taking her relationship serious with him. And it's so cool now that me, uh, her husband, now uh, years later, we can look at those things and and it's just sweet. So I want to encourage you guys to do that if you do not. Um, All right. Victory despite distractions. Now, you and I, we've all experienced distractions. Some of us are uh, more easily distracted than others. Raise your hand if you would think, if you would say, yep, I'm a very easily distracted person. Raise your hand. Yeah, just about all of you, right? Um, And we all experience that. We especially experience it when we're doing homework, right? You're doing homework and you're just like, anything is cool at that point, right? You're like looking up to the ceiling and thinking like, that looks like George Washington and the ceiling right there, right? And you, you get distracted by the most random things and things that you think would boring. Uh, or uh, how many of you guys have watched the movie Up, uh, right? This guy, right? Squ- squirrel, right? Mr. Doug over here, uh, very distracted. Some of you guys are worse than Doug, I would say. Uh, and it's just, we, we get distracted. Uh, you could go online and look at uh, how many accidents and things that are caused by uh, distracted drivers. Uh, hopefully some of your parents are not too distracted of drivers, right? They text while driving, hopefully not. Um, and we can easily uh, become distracted, distracted with so many things in life, and especially when trying to live a life for God. You see, the enemy knows this. He knows that you and I, just by our very nature, that we get distracted, and he preys on us to become distracted with even what would look like something good at times. But how, uh, the question today, well, how do you and I remain steadfast and focused despite all the distractions? How do we gain victory despite the distractions? Well, uh, we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 6 a handful of things that we'll be able to pull from the text today. Uh, If you remember, chapter four uh, was all about the intimidation and discouragement and many other tactics of the enemy, how he uses and how you and I are to be battle ready against him. Uh, Last week in chapter five, we looked at the importance of walking in the fear of God, how that will keep us from sin. Well, building the the wall, remember the the whole thing, though we're taking these different principles and truths, 
uh, don't miss the whole goal of this book, which is about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it has certainly been a journey thus far. It's, there's never really been an easy moment. But we're going to see today uh, some exciting things. We're going to see that the wall is almost done, that uh, the completion of the wall is on the horizon. Uh, but there's a couple other things that will take place, and that happens in Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you uh, with expectation this morning. We want to learn from you. We want to take away everything from this service, Lord, that we can. We want to grow with you. We want to know you more. And I just pray against distractions here. Lord, as we study a message on distractions, Lord, would you help us to remain focused on your word? Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be looking around or looking at the, the lights or how many uh, things are in the room. God, that we would just be so focused on you. Go before us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to see that this chapter starts off with what I like to call the big three. Everyone say big three. Another name for them are the big or the three stooges, okay? There's those three guys that were mentioned back uh, in chapter four, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Any, anyone remember them? Okay, maybe some of you, kind of crazy names, but just remember them as the big three, okay, the, or the three stooges. And these guys, we see them mentioned yet again in chapter six, that what seems to happen, they catch wind that Nehemiah and the people are almost done with the building of the wall, that the finish line is in sight for them. And so uh, we see that they start to ramp things up a little bit. You see, back in Nehemiah 4, their plans were brought to nothing by God, that they tried intimidation, they tried infiltration, as you can remember when Pastor Josh taught, but nothing worked. And what we're going to see in this chapter is that the enemy tries one last time before the walls built to halt and hinder the work. I like to think of this chapter as, as the enemy throwing their, their uh, Hail Mary. Do you guys know what a Hail Mary is? No, not the prayer, not the Catholic prayer, but in football, right? Which comes from that. A Hail Mary is something when, you know, there's 10 seconds left. There's, you're so far down the field, so you're just going to chuck it and throw it as far as you can, hoping, praying that someone catches the ball. Okay, this is the enemy's Hail Mary. It's a shot of desperation. They, they look to their playbook for one last play, and they choose distraction. They look in their playbook. They see all, okay, we use discouragement. Didn't work. Okay, we use, we try to get inside. Didn't work. Hey, distraction. Let's, let's try that one. They were unsuccessful in stopping it, but maybe they could delay the work. And so read with me in verses one through four, we're going to see this, what we're going to call deceitful distraction. The first kind of distraction that they use is deceitful. Look at verse one, and we're going to go down to verse four. It says this, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, almost finished, that, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner." 
You see these, these big three or these three stooges and all the rest of the enemies of Nehemiah and the people, they send a message to Nehemiah about what appears to be a friendly invitation. You see in their, in their invitation in verse 2 that they say, come, come down to us to this place and we'll just, we'll just want to meet. We just want to talk. It seems friendly. But Nehemiah's response is no way. You see, and this is good here. There's a little play on words that I want to use. You see, when the enemy would invite us to what seems friendly and harmless, uh, I want you to say, oh, no. Okay? Notice in verse 2 that they say, come down to the villages in the plain of Ono. This is a good, easy way to remember when the enemy, though it seems harmless, though it seems friendly, if the enemy is inviting, you got to say, oh, no. Everyone say, oh, no. No, no, you got to say it with a little flair, though, a little pizzazz, okay? You want to try it again? All right. So when the enemy says, come down, you're going to say, oh, no, Okay. Uh, now, what, what is this plain of Ono? Where is this? It's, a, it's an actual place. It's a valley about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. But because it is a valley, it's actually very low elevation. The ele- elevation in the plain of Ono is about 125 feet, pretty low, compared to Jerusalem, which is about 2,500 feet, uh, almost 2,000 uh, feet difference. And notice, though, that they wanted Nehemiah to come down to the valley of Ono. And this, guys, is what the enemy loves to do. He loves to distract you and get you to come down. The enemy never invites you to come up. He only invites you to come down to do something less than you are currently doing. You see, uh, Satan and his minions against you and I, he loves to get us to compromise our standards, that we have these standards for ourselves, but the world comes knocking. And I say, well, don't be so fanatical about your faith. Don't be so radical for Jesus. Like, just come and do this. Come down here. But when the enemy comes knocking and invites us in this friendly way, what are we to say? Oh, no. Hey, good way to remember it. But why say no? You see, Nehemiah was smart in saying no because what appeared on the surface was different underneath. Guys, and this is 10 times out of 10 what happens with sin, with invitation, with temptation of the enemy is that on the surface looks pretty decent. It looks friendly. Okay, it's not that. It looks harmless. But underneath is something entirely different. And we see that with these guys, uh, there were hidden intentions and Nehemiah knew it. Have you guys ever seen uh, Star Wars before? Yeah? You guys know who Admiral Akbar is? Yeah? Some of you guys are like, no way. Well, if you are, this, this will be a helpful illustration for you, right? It's a trap! Uh, if you're familiar with the movies at all, uh, this was a trap, guys. This was, this was a setup. This was a play that they didn't just want to have this, you know, friendly. They didn't want to just meet for coffee. And Nehemiah uh, knew this. But h- how? Look at, look at verse, I believe it is four. It says, um, sorry, Verse two, it says, but they thought to do me harm. How did Nehemiah recognize this? How do you know this? Well, I want to give you a word, and that word is discernment. Everyone write down uh, in your, in your note-taking discernment. Discernment is something in the Bible that uh, all Christians are to have. We're to uh, discern. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians chapter five, verse eight through 10 says this, 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Do you see that word finding out? It's the same word as discernment. It is to know. It is to find out. It is to seek and to search. And you and I, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we are to have a level of discernment that the world does not have. The Bible says that you and I are to test all things. First John talks about how you and I are to uh, test the spirit of a person, meaning that when we meet someone, we're to be discerning, we're to be thinking, we're to be finding out and seeking what kind of person are they? Are they someone, are they a believer? Are they a non-believer? Are they a wolf? Are they someone who is against me or for me? Not that we are to become critical, but we are to become discerning people. You see, the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, says that the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Meaning that when the enemy can seem harmless, it can seem not that bad, but they are deceitful. See, I want you to write this down. Within the distraction, Nehemiah had discernment. Within the distraction, go to the next slide, Nehemiah had discernment. He was able to see through. And guys, God has given you the ability to do that. The Bible says when he has given you his Holy Spirit, that you have a level of discernment that you are able to, uh, in a sense, see a person's motives. Now, not like God by any means. You're not Jesus. Uh, but he has given us this supernatural ability, and it's something that we are to grow in. It's not something that we just guess, and it's not something that we just always bank on. But it is something that we are to have. We are to test. We are to see. We are to think critically. Okay? And we see that Nehemiah did that, and he, and he could see that this was a distraction. This was just to get him uh, from doing the work. Because that's what these three stooges, that's what their goal was. They just wanted him to stop so that the work was not completed. But look at Nehemiah's response in verse three. It's awesome. He says, he says this, verse three, I am doing a great work. And this is key. I want you to write down and note that, that he understood the weight of his work, that he understood that what he was doing was more important. Because you could argue that, well, it would be good for him to make, you know, Jesus says to love our enemies. He should go to them and just, just talk with them. But he was discerning, and he knew what he was doing was great. And this is important, focusing on the vitals rather than the things that aren't as crucial. I mean, think about it. Think about if you went in for surgery, and it was something serious, a major organ of some kind. But then the doctor, the entire time that he was supposed to be doing the surgery, was just so worried about your stubbed toe. It'd be weird, right? It's like, no, why? No, no, no. The stubbed toe, that's, that's not a big deal. Like, that's, don't focus on that. Focus on the vital thing or worrying about a scratch on your car when the tire is flat. It's like, no, no, focus on what is important. And the enemy doesn't necessarily want us, you know, sometimes the temptation isn't just to sin outright and go do drugs and crazy things like that. Oftentimes, it's much more smaller things. It's smaller things. It's just to get you away from the more important things, to bring you down in the way of what you're doing. You see, when we don't see God's work as great work, then we will become easily distracted. That what, if you don't see what God has put in front of you and what you are called to do and what you are to do and obey him, and if you're like, well, it's not that big a deal, then you'll become easily distracted. Uh, Pastor Josh Blevins, 
here at the church says this, I can only say no to the enemy after I have said yes to the Lord. This is good. See, Nehemiah was so committed and he said yes to the Lord. He, he was working for him. And so then he could be like, well, I already said yes to the Lord, so no. It, was, it wasn't this difficult thing for him. But if he had not first said yes to the Lord, it would have been more of a temptation. So I want to encourage you guys, say yes to the Lord in your life. What he's asking you to do, the smallest of things, to obey your parents, to work hard in school, to just be nice to your sister. It's the small things that he's, he has asked you to do in his word. Just say yes to those things and begin to do them. Uh, we see, though, that the enemy, they weren't getting the hint. Uh, look at verse 4. They send the message three more times for a total of four. And I don't want you to think, you know, you and I, we can get messages to each other pretty easily now, right? You can just send a text, make a phone call. It wasn't that way back then, that they had to set up a messenger. The messenger had to hopefully have a horse, or he had to be a really good runner, run all the way back, run all the way back, back and forth, back and forth. Um, but the enemy was persistent. And I want you to write this down as well. It'll be on the screen. The enemy is persistent with this distraction, but we see that Nehemiah is relentless in their persistence. That Nehemiah was relentless. That time, when they said, come, he said, no. When they said, are you sure? He said, yup. When he said, okay, just come down now, he said, no. Four times he said, no, 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 no. And guys, sin is going to knock, temptation is going to knock, and distraction is going to knock again and again and again. Just keep saying no. Keep saying no. You're like, well, I said no yesterday. We'll say no again today. Well, the temptation came back. Say no again. The distraction, say no. Okay? It's awesome. It's awesome, the, the things that we can grab from this. The, the second way of distraction uh, that we see in verses 5 through 14, this was the big one. Well, they really started pouring it on was fear-driven distraction. I want you to write it down. This is something that for you and I can become a very a big part of our lives where we are making decisions and we are distracted uh, with fear, that we feel this emotion and we begin to make decisions based on the emotion. And we see that they attempt to distract Nehemiah with fear. Let's look at verses 5 through 14. You guys good? Following? You have your Bibles open still? All right, look at verse five with me. The Bible says this, that after they had sent those messages four times, that verse five says, then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, one more time, this time with an open letter in his hand, meaning that this was a public letter, not something that was private, okay? Public, meaning when it says open. It says, verse six, in it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent him to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of uh, Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was 
a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, such, such, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Verse 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. See, within these verses, we see two ploys or two plots using fear-driven distraction to get Nehemiah away from God's work. And both of them are to instill fear into Nehemiah so he stops working. Hopefully you caught it the two different times it was mentioned, but it's, it mentions that they were doing these things to make him afraid because they knew if they could instill fear into Nehemiah that he would start to make the wrong decisions, that he would start to step back from the work and he would start to think about himself. And so the first one that we're going to look at is the, the first fear-driven distraction that they gave him was with public ridicule, with public ridicule ridicule. And that's with that open letter, right? It was a public letter. And what did it say in the letter? It talked about how uh, he, uh, it was full of rumors. It was full of false accusations and these subtle threats against Nehemiah that he was, he was doing all this just so he could become king. This was not true. Lie after lie within this letter that the, they're no longer sounding so friendly for this fifth time around, this message of distraction. Even notice at the very end of their letter in verse 7, it says, Come, therefore, let us consult together. That word consult there, it means to give advice. That first they were lying, they were accusing him of these false things, but then they're saying, come, let us, let us help you. Let us come and we'll give you some advice on how to manage these rumors and things that are going on. But as before, I love Nehemiah's response in verse eight. It's similar, he says, no way. He stands his ground with boldness. He says, y'all making this up in your own mind. He just, he just shoots straight with them. He says, that's not true. And, and he doesn't feel the need to defend himself. He just says, that's not true. You're making it up. And we see that Nehemiah's discernment continues as he points out the reason for their letter uh, in verse, what was it? Yeah, look at verse nine. It says, for they were all trying to make us afraid that he could see past this letter. Wasn't just, he didn't just look at the letter, but he was able to discern, think about the intent of the letter. And he discerned their motives, but notice he turned to God's power. He discerned their motives, figured out, okay, this is what they're doing. But instead of just saying, I could just tough through it, look at the end of verse 9. He prays. Very simple, very small, and I love these. Remember, we talked about Nehemiah in the beginning of our series. He is a man of prayer. And we, one of the prayers, and one of my favorite ones, is right here. Look how small it is. Look how simple it is. Something that I know you hear us telling you often as, as a leadership is that you don't need to pray long prayers. 
They just need to be genuine. Guys, get this. Understand this, that God's not looking for these spiritual ginormous prayers full of theology and wise words. All he says is, God, give me strength. He's like, God, help. Uh, You know what these people are doing. They're just trying to distract me. Lord, would you strengthen, notice his prayer, strengthen my hands. Because what were his hands doing? His hands were building the wall, doing God's work. And they wanted him to stop. And he, and he recognizes, able to discern, but then he turns to God's power and says, Lord, I'm feeling distracted. Help me in my distraction. Guys, it's key. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to give you guys something that I started to do uh, maybe last year, and it really has started to help me. There's times throughout my week, and I'm sure you experience the same, where maybe you feel an a sense of uh, just overwhelmingness. You just feel overwhelmed in your own, just your own heart. No one else knows necessarily. Or there's these moments that you just feel distracted. You just feel off almost. Do you guys ever have those moments? I know I do on a, on a weekly basis. And what someone encouraged me to, to do is, it's very simple. It's not like this amazing adv- advice, but it is sound. It is good. Or you just said, hey, just, just in that moment, in the, in the, when distraction is overwhelming, and when you're just feeling that way, just stop for a second and just, just pray. Just say, God, you know how I'm feeling right now. Lord, would you help me? Just send up those quick prayers. I'm telling you, God responds to that. He loves those prayers and he listens. And I've seen in my own life, and I can tell you from personal experience, it's not that it works, right? Prayer doesn't, it's not like, oh, it, it works. But I can tell you, God meets you in that moment. He does. It's not that you hear this big sound or you all of a sudden feel like your, your arms are getting super strong right? It's not, that wasn't his prayer. It's not that he needed help like lifting bigger things. Uh, but that there's just sometimes God is able to send a calmness. Guys, God does that and he wants to do that for you. The second fear-driven distraction that they attempted to distract him with uh, was with a lie. We saw that they did it with public ridicule. And now the second one uh, with a lie, they send a man named Shemaiah to try and trick Nehemiah of being a coward and of sinning against God. That was their goal. They wanted to get Nehemiah to cower and to sin against God. This man tells Nehemiah false news about an assassination attempt. Hopefully you were following along when we were reading. He tries to get him to go inside the doors of the temple saying, look, they're coming to kill you. You got to get into the temple of the doors. Uh, into the doors of the temple. And you might be like, well, what's the big deal? Why doesn't he just go into the temple? Well, the temple back then was different than church today. The temple back then uh, was, um, there were certain rules with it. Uh, Not only would this show cowardice on Nehemiah's part of going into the temple, but it would also be directly disobeying God. Why? Well, Numbers 18.7 talks about how only the priests were allowed to go inside the doors of the temple. Right? There was the outer courts. That's where everyone can kind of be as long as you were uh, clean and right before God. And then there was the temple and the, and the doors. And only the priests were allowed to go in there. And then there was the Holy of Holies. Hopefully you've, you've heard of that. That's where only the high priest was able to go once a year. And so God had clearly laid these things out. We see in 2 Chronicles 26 that King Uzziah, if you've ever heard of him, King Uzziah decided that he was kind of above the rules of God. And he went into the temple and he wasn't a priest. He was a king, but he wasn't a priest. And he went in, and God struck him with leprosy. And for the rest of his life, I believe he had leprosy. I don't, I don't know if he ever got healed from that. 
You see, God takes these things seriously. And so not only were they trying to get Nehemiah to like cower, but also to sin against God. But yet again, look at verse 11, we see how Nehemiah responds. He once again is steadfast rather than giving into fear. He knew God's word and fear was not going to let Nehemiah disobey God. He wouldn't put his life above the rest of the people. You see, he saw that the goal of building the wall, doing God's work, was more important than his own life. And we also see, though, him use discernment once again. He sees right through the plot. He thinks about it. He sees it. He asks God, God, what, what is this? Should I listen to this? He counsels with God. And then we see that he's able to use his discernment to realize, oh my gosh, this guy's on Sanballat's payroll. He's, this high, he's, a, he's a snitch. He's a double agent. There's, there's something wrong here. He's able to see that. You see, guys, I want you to listen to me clearly. Okay? Fear is not a sin. You hear me? Fear is an emotion. However, when we make decisions based upon our fear, that's when we start getting into the realm of sinning against God. It is one thing to be afraid. You see, the bravest men are fearful. They have just chosen courage over cowardice. And we see that with Nehemiah. He had the choice to cower or he had the choice to be courageous, and he chose courage. Nehemiah knew where his strength come from, and he said, God, even if it's true, even if this assassination is going to happen, God, I'm going to step out and be courageous because I know what you've asked me to do. And think about it, guys. How often do we make decisions based upon fear? Small or big decisions that we choose to be a coward rather than to be courageous. You see, it's okay to be afraid. It's just not okay to stay that way. Does that make sense? It's okay to be afraid. There's lots of things I'm, it's terrifying for me every Sunday to come up here and give you God's word. But am I gonna choose fear and just not? No, I know what God's asked me to do and this is what he's asked me to do. You see, we have a great tendency to sin while we live in fear, to make decisions based on fear rather than God's word. And fear, guys, is a great tool of persuasion. You know what persuasion means? To persuade? You see, they were using this distraction of fear to persuade Nehemiah to get his eyes off of the prize. Yet remember, we shouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11, it's a verse I shared with you a couple weeks ago, is that the enemy's main purpose, sorry, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not. We're not ignorant. We know how he works, and he's just trying to distract you guys. Yet we need to be aware of this. We need to look in verse 12. That's where we see his discernment. He says, then I perceive. That word perceive, very similar to discernment. He's able to see and understand. I want you guys to just think about for a moment things that are in your life. What right now are you putting your hands to that are a distraction? Even if it's good things, but they're not God things. There is a difference. There's a lot of good things that we can do, but they're not always God things. I like it, Warren Wearsby, uh, kind of an int- intense quote, but he says this. Warren Wearsby uh, says, The enemy's purpose was to generate fear in the heart of Nehemiah and his workers, knowing that fear destroys faith and paralyzes life. Adolf Hitler, yes, Hitler, he wrote, mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, 
indecisiveness, panic, these are our weapons. No doubt Hitler was fueled by uh, satanic strategy. And I think the same, that the, the enemy would love to get us confused about things that are before us. He would love to get us uh, that, that feeling of contradiction and, and, and that fearfulness, indecisiveness, panic. Because it's in those times that we make bad decisions. You might say, well, okay, I understand the strategy, but what do we do against it? Well, when you boil it all down, Nehemiah combated distraction with two things. I want you to write them down. They are discernment, or sorry, determination and discernment. He was able to combat distraction with determination and discernment. He was determined He saw what God had called him to do. He knew that the work was great. And so it didn't matter if the greatest opportunity came before him or the the most fearful opportunity came before him, he was gonna keep going. And guys, you gotta decide. You gotta determine where you're at with the Lord. Because everyone look at me. I know you're writing down that. But guys, if you don't determine to just stick by the Lord, you will drift away. You You will not stay close to him. You will not stay close to what he wants you to do. Daniel chapter one, verse eight says this. He talks about how Daniel purposed in his heart to not defile himself. That beforehand, before the temptation came, before the enemy came to tempt, that he already determined in in himself, he purposed. He said, this is what I'm going to do. But I believe a lot of you, you're, you're living on the edge of indecisiveness. You're on the fence about the Lord. You're on the fence about, oh, I don't know if I want to follow completely the Lord's plan. I kind of want to do my own thing. Guys, you will fall on the wrong side of the fence. If you do not decide, your decision is already made. You hear me? If you do not decide, your decision's already made. But God, through his strength and his power, I believe if you determine, and you're like, God, I just want to follow you. I want to, I want to go with your plan. God is a God of completion, which we'll look at in a second. He will see you through. And so, and, we, and he sees Nehemiah through. Look at the evidence. Look at verses 15 through 19. We see this, guys. It says this, so the wall was finished. Everyone say finished. It's done on the 25th day of Elul in, the 52, in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Johanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berukai. Man, those, those were crazy names. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Think about the joy in, the, in those first couple verses. The wall is finally done in, in, in only 52 days. We see, we see clearly that Nehemiah didn't give into the enemy's enticed distractions, but rather with God's strength, he was determined to get the work done, and he did. The work was done by God, and everyone knew it. Notice that it says that the enemies kind of found out, the, the three stooges and everyone else around they're like, wait, the wall's done? Like the gates are hung, the, the doors are in, there's no cracks, there's no crevices, and then, nope, it's done. 
that because it was only 52 days, the Bible says that all the enemies, they knew this was none other than God himself. And so they realized that the God of the Hebrews was back in a sense. And they were discouraged because of it. You see, when God's people are committed to God's work without turning to the right or the left, then he, then his work will be accomplished and God will get all the glory. It's awesome. But notice though, do you get, does anyone, and this, this is for something from the snack bar, because it's a hard one. Does anyone remember how long Nehemiah prayed and fasted and sought God, God for? Not 40 days. Yep. Four months. Four months. Right, man, this is a round of applause. That was awesome. Come on, let's encourage her a little bit. All right, there you go. Four months. Does anyone know how long 52 days is? How many months? Yeah. It's a little under two months. A month is usually about 30 days. Guys, think about it. Less that he prayed and sought the Lord for four months. It took them a little while to get to Jerusalem, but once they get there, 52 days, less than two months, God did the work. You see, this was something divine. It was divine completion. The fingerprints of God were all over this one, and it was undeniable. Alan Redpath says this, that Nehemiah triumphed because he was doing a great work which God initiated. Because God initiated, he empowered it. See, it was God who put this desire, this thought, this burden on Nehemiah's heart. And it wasn't like Nehemiah had a great idea one day. This was God initiated, and so it was God empowered. You see, as I said earlier, God is a God of completion. It's what he does. With creation, he completed creation, and then he rested. With the plan of redemption, he completed the work, and Jesus says, it is finished. Within the promises of God, he has completed, he has promised us to complete the work that he started in us. That God is just, it's just what he does, and it's awesome. And we should glory in this, and we should trust in this, and we should know this. I really like what David Guzik says, and it's a little bit long, but I want you to listen, okay? He says, why wasn't the job done in more than 100 years before? Because it was 100 years that the walls were in ruins, yet in 52 days it was erected. It wasn't that no one saw the problem. It wasn't that the walls were not wanted. Many people saw broken walls, knew how, how they ruined the lives of the people of Jerusalem, but no one got past the place of just wishing there were walls. Finally, there came a man who did more than wish Jerusalem had walls. He grieved, he ached, he prayed, he planned, he asked boldly, he went, he fought, he encouraged, he stood strong, he saw the job through to completion. But he also had people around him with the same kind of heart. We have such small ideas of how God can use us. God used a man named Nehemiah to set right a hundred-year-old problem in less than two months. And the same God sits on the throne in heaven and works through you today. It's awesome. And we have such small ideas of what God, we say, how, how us? And we let fear pin us. And we let the idea of someone else doing the work. But guys, God has a plan and purpose for each one of you specifically. What is it? What is it right now? What is it in the future? As we, as we close together, you know, I want you to think about Jesus. 
As I was thinking through this chapter, many similarities for me started popping up between Nehemiah and Jesus. And I just want to point out four of them to you. Just like Nehemiah, Jesus wasn't distracted, but he focused on the goal, right? They tempted him. Even when he was up on the cross, they mocked him. And they said, if you're God, then come down. Look, they would say, he saved others, but he himself, he cannot save. Yet Jesus didn't come down from the cross. He determined to to see the work completed. Jesus didn't seek to defend himself against false accusations like Nehemiah. He just, he went with it. He was a he was silent. He was like a sheep to the slaughter, the Bible says. Jesus didn't take the easy way out. He wasn't a coward. And Jesus, like Nehemiah, completed the work. Right? I mentioned a moment ago that when Jesus was up on there, before he breathed his last, he says, it is finished. And so Nehemiah gained victory despite distractions because of determination and discernment. He clearly relied on God's strength with when the distractions were very intense and overwhelming. And the enemy, right, they, they threw the, their Hail Mary, that they sent lying letters, they sent invitations, they sent um, a double agent type of guy, but it was easily intercepted, the, their Hail Mary, and once again, their plan became nothing. They tried, tried to def- deceive him with friendliness. They tried to drive him with fear. They did anything they could to get his eyes off the prize, yet Nehemiah remained steadfast and immovable. I want to close with one last verse, and this is for you guys to, to keep in mind and to think through. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, hopefully verses you've heard before, but I think they go in line very well with distractions. It talks about a weight and sin and says this, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and what? And what? He is the finisher of our faith. Guys, do not get your eyes off of Jesus. If today you are not determined in your relationship with the Lord, then you will fall away. You will get distracted you will fall right into the things that the enemy wants. But guys, the great news is that God literally has tasks and things beforehand for you to complete that have eternal impact. I know it's hard to believe that sometimes. You always hear God has a plan, but he literally does and for you. There's things he wants you to do. There's things he desires for you. Don't get distracted. It's one of the enemy's, I think one of his favorite things to use. Don't get distracted. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's lay aside those things that distract us, even if they're good, the weights that weigh us down from running the race, and especially sin. If there's undealt with sin in your life, in your heart, deal with it today. Deal with it with the Lord. Father, we we come before you, and we are grateful uh, that you empower us, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, that you are not only, uh, Lord, the one who will see us to completion, but you're the originator. You are the one who has called us. You loved us, Lord, before we loved you, that you have chosen us, and we have only by default, Lord, uh, chosen you because you chose us. Lord, it's not the other way around. God, we, we love you, and we, we want to we be pleasing to you. We want to live a life that would be effective and well, we, we don't want, Lord, to get distracted, but so often 
Lord, I confess, Lord, our eyes can just get on uh, other issues, things that aren't in, as vital. We can get focused on the stubbed toe when our heart is bleeding out. Lord, would you, uh, Lord, help us to prioritize? Would you give us discernment in the things that come in our life? That we would never become critical, but that we would become critical thinkers. That, that by your spirit, you would, Lord, anoint us to understand and to see, Lord, what, what people come into our lives. And Lord, I just want to pray over, over these youth, these, these guys and, and girls that are here. Lord, I pray that as they head back to school, as they head back home, Lord, so many things to distract. Lord, would you give them the strength? Would you remind them? Would there be that, that small nudge of your Holy Spirit to remind them to stay on track, to aim to please you? And so, Lord, we give you this day, we worship you because you're God, because you're good, and because you are worthy of every word that comes out of our mouth. So uh, we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.